Now, the most haunting question in all our English language is the question, why? Now, so often it goes unanswered. Like when my daughter, Lily, tells me that she needs all of her stuffed animals arranged in just a certain way. And if, if I don't arrange them that way, her world is falling apart. And I ask her, Lily, why? I'm meant with a blank stare. And then the same instruction again, Papa, arrange them this way. Haunted, I am. I've been told that I'll experience this same phenomena in reverse this year because Lily is turning three years old. So she is going to be the one asking me the question, why, Papa? About all sorts of things. Why is the sky blue? Why do mosquitoes exist? Why can't the lions ever make the playoffs? And I'll stand there, dumbfounded, at these many of life's unanswerable questions. But there is something truly haunting about that question, why? Especially when it's voiced in life's more tragic of times. A child is born with a birth defect and grows up being bullied and humiliated and feeling worthless. And he cries out, why? A kid gets wrapped up in gang activity, and one day his rival gang comes hunting him down at his school. He escapes, transfers school, and the first day that he's beginning this new start, this start over, on the way to the orientation, his car is stuck, struck by an 18-wheeler. To all of this, the parents ask, Why? A massive tsunami blows in from the Indian Ocean and claims 250,000 lives. And people watch around the world with horror and wonder, why? When that great tsunami struck in December of 2004, one reporter wrote, If God is God then he's not good. If God is good, then he's not God. You can't have it both ways. Have you ever asked that question in your life? That question, why? What suffering are you in the midst of that has you wondering about the goodness of God? What suffering have you faced that, that you just can't wrap your mind around? Or what trauma have you faced in your past that leaves you wondering where God was, or where He is, or does He even care about what I went through? Well, if you've ever found yourself questioning these things, then this week's story was for you. 
because it was a story of suffering. It was a story of Joseph. And in it we see revealed to us one of the most important things that we can know about God. This story gives an answer to that question of why, a question of suffering. But it answers the why with another question. What? But don't let me get ahead of the story. Let's go back and and revisit this story of Joseph. Chapter 3 of the story begins with Jacob sending his son Joseph to check on his brothers. Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Of course, as the reader, you know, this is a, a dangerous mission for Joseph. His brothers don't want anything to do with him. He's daddy's favorite, the one that Jacob flaunted his love for, treated him better than the rest, made him that special, ornate robe. Because of this, Joseph's brothers envied him. Joseph didn't really have any issues showing off his father's favoritism either, did he? He wore that coat with pride. He had a dream at one point in which all of his brothers were bowing down to him and being the little brother he was, he shared that with his older brothers. Even though he could see that it angered them, that wasn't hard to tell, when he had another dream just like it, he shared it with his brothers again. So of course, When his brothers saw him coming that day, when Joseph came to check on them, they saw him in the distance. Before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And we'll say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And so, that's what they did. Sure enough, they threw him in the pit. And here we see Joseph suffering alone. He's abandoned. His cries for help, they go unanswered. We hear later from the brothers that they say, We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. And no doubt Joseph prayed to God for deliverance as well, but no help was received. It's easy to imagine Joseph questioning, why? Why me? At this point in the story, honestly, I think the why is kind of clear. Now, I'm not excusing what the brothers did to Joseph, but in a way, you could kind of say that Joseph had it coming. Maybe the, the brother's sin outweighs Joseph's sin, but, but let's face it, Joseph had rubbed his father's love in their faces. He wasn't shy about lording over them special status in the family. 
But I want to get one thing straight this morning. It's not karma that led Joseph down into the well. People talk that way, don't they? So often in life you'll hear people saying that, oh, they must have deserved this thing that's happening to them. There must be something in their life that they're, they're now paying for. It's karma. And usually, whatever that person is going through is completely unrelated to that, that bad thing they did earlier in their life. But that's not how reality works. There's no such thing as karma. I'll say it again. There's no such thing as karma. Joseph, he simply pushed his brothers beyond what they could bear. That's not karma. That's consequences. And sometimes in life, we do reap what we sow. Sometimes our suffering is just the result of our own actions, our own foolishness. But the story doesn't end here for Joseph. Shortly after he gets tossed in the well, some Midianite merchants are are passing by and the brothers realize, wait a minute, this is a waste. We can make a little money off our brother. So they sell him for 20 shekels of silver and Joseph is hauled off to Egypt. So for Joseph, the suffering continues. But here we see the first clue as to how God responds to our suffering. Because when this happens in the story, we hear a certain phrase repeated four times over. It says, The Lord was with Joseph. God goes with Joseph to this new land. God helps Joseph thrive in this new Egyptian home. Joseph rises the ranks and is given charge over all of his master's house. The Lord was with Joseph. Yet pretty soon, he's back in the hole. His master's wife, when she can't dupe Joseph into jumping into bed with her, she frames him, and he's tossed into prison. Why me? But this time, there is no good reason why. Joseph had acted with integrity. He had tried to do the right thing with his master's wife. There was no arrogance or pride this time. Why? Why the suffering? Well, at this very moment in the story, we're hit with that phrase again. The Lord was with Joseph. God hadn't punished Joseph when he first ended up in the pits. That was the actions of his brother. And and God wasn't punishing Joseph now instead. Instead, he was with him. He was giving him success, even in the prison. The suffering wasn't sent from God, but God was with him in the midst of his suffering. Well, it took a couple of years, but Joseph eventually makes it out of the prison He interprets some dreams for Pharaoh and it lands him as second in command, prime minister of Egypt. 
And in time, a famine comes that brings Joseph's brothers to Egypt, where Joseph is giving out the grain for all those affected by the famine. Now, when the brothers show up, uh, Joseph toys with them a little bit, right? And again, I'm not saying that what Joseph did in this part of the story is right, but the response of the brothers is interesting. When Joseph, who they don't realize is their brother, frames them from stealing from him, listen to what the brothers say. They say this, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. The brothers are going the karma route, right? They're imagining that something that happened years ago, completely unrelated to what's happening to them now, is the cause of this suffering. That they're somehow paying for their crimes from before. Now, ironically, it is because of their brother that they're facing this present suffering, but they don't know that. These guys don't have a clue. But what a strange human thing that we do when we assume that our suffering is the result of some divine comeuppance, that we have to carry our own sins upon our shoulders and pay for them somehow. But Joseph clears the air for his brothers and for us. Joseph reveals how God actually responds to suffering. Listen to what Joseph says. We heard it in our text today. He says, Do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me here ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Or more succinctly, in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. There's no way that Joseph could have seen all of this coming. When he was thrown into that pit as a young boy, it, it just felt like suffering. He had no idea what God could work through it. When Joseph was thrown into that pit as a boy, he was arrogant, selfish, and inconsiderate of his brother's emotional needs and hurts. But through these years of bondage and misery, God refined Joseph's character. He went from being a self-centered boy to a selfless servant of a man, looking out for the integrity of others and, and for the health and well-being of others. It's likely that Joseph never would have become the man that he did without his suffering. And if you think about where you are today, maybe you can relate to that. 
Because suffering, when we come through the other side of it, it often refines us in a way nothing else can. And that's God at work. I know that Nick can relate. He was that child who was born with a birth defect. He suffered many years of pain and humiliation, so much so that by the time that he was 10 years old, 10 years old, he tried to take his own life. He tried to drown himself, but he wasn't able to. God had another plan for his life, to give hope to other people through his story. And Nick, Nick Vujicic, he has gone on to share that story with millions of people around the world, giving many other people hope in the midst of their suffering. That's God at work. I know Marcus can relate. Not Marcus Huff. Marcus Gray, he was that kid who got wrapped up in gang violence and got hit by that 18-wheeler. He survived. In the aftermath of that accident, his, he, he, he asked his grandmother, why would God allow that to happen? Her reply, maybe God's trying to get your attention. Two weeks later, his grandmother would die from a heart attack but her words would live in his mind. Marcus would go on from his gangster lifestyle to gospel rap. His name is Marcus Gray, but he goes by the stage name Flame. You can look him up if you want. He's rocked stages around the world. He's been nominated for a Grammy, and his song, Start Over, has over 34 million uh, views on, play, on Spotify. That's God at work. So often when we experience suffering in this world, we ask God, why? It can seem so pointless to us, especially in the moment. But it's like we're saying in the moment, if my mind can't plumb the depths of the universe for good answers to this suffering, well then, there can't be any. But if you have a God, great and transcendent enough to be mad at for all the evil and suffering in the world, then you have a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for continuing it that you can't know. Indeed, you can't have it both ways. But the greatest reason we know that God works for our good in our suffering, is just to look at his own son. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? And I'll tell you this, that the people who were gathered there at the cross that day, they didn't say, to save me from my sin. That's not what it looked like. Not in the moment. In the moment, it looked like a sham like a mock trial, like an innocent person dying a needless death that he didn't deserve. And there we see Jesus suffering. 
alone. He's abandoned. And no one answers his cries for help. My God, my God, why? I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was also true man. That he understands the depths of our suffering like no one else can. But there on the cross, God shows us the ultimate act of turning suffering into good. For by that senseless death, God crushed Satan's head. And Jesus conquered death. By Jesus' suffering, we know that nothing that we have ever done can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. It's all been paid for. God shouldered it for us on the cross. He's not out to punish us. He's out to forgive us, to draw near to us and to walk with us in the midst of our sufferings, to turn all things into good for those who love Him, for you. So what is God doing with your suffering? Ask Him, because you're not alone. Look to Him, because He will never, never abandon you, nor forsake you. He sees you in the midst of it. He cares, and He will carry you through to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard our hearts and minds in faith. In Christ Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen.